Welcome to Bottom Line's Conversations with the Experts. I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to our leading tax expert, Ed Mendlowitz. He's a partner at Witham Smith & Brown with over 40 years of public accounting experience. Among Ed's many accomplishments is the fact that he's testified before the House Ways and Means Committee on Tax Reform, Reduction, and Fairness. He's the author of 25 books and is a very longtime member of Bottom Line Personal's panel of experts. Ed is also the author of one of our newest blogs and one of our most popular blogs, I might say, The Payless Tax Man, which can be found at our website, bottomlineinc.com. So thank you for talking to us today. Hi, Sarah. Nice to be here. Thank you. So we are going to do a series of four podcasts, and they're all about the financial implications of marriage. First session is going to be about what, what financial considerations people need to make before they get married for the first time. Because, you know, it's people think about romance and love and beaches. But if you get traditional about this, marriage is really an economic arrangement. And that money being one of the biggest reasons that people divorce, they have to think about their financials as they're planning their wedding, yes? That's right. It, actually, money is very important. It, it could lead to the biggest fight that people have. People fall in love, they, they get married, and the fights are all over money, not over other things. So uh, I think they should get this set from the beginning, what they're going to do. So let's say, let's start with, what are the biggest mistakes? So as they're going into marriage, again, and they're thinking about, oh, life's going to be easy and perfect, and they're not thinking about the realities of paying the rent and saving for college and retirement. So what are the biggest mistakes that couples make when they're marrying with regard to their finances? Well, one, one big mistake is that they keep things secret. They're not as open as they should be with their, with their own finances and how they expect the money to be treated and what they expect for long-term goals. So I think that's a major thing. Enough. So let's break that down for a second. So that's two things. One is they are not talking beforehand what their financial objectives are so that they're not even sure if they're on the same page. And also, are people not even fessing up to any of their financial problems going into it so that like if one partner has credit card debt and they haven't told their partner about it, which I've seen all too often happen? This is a major problem. The credit card debt, a lot of people have large debt, they're embarrassed about it, and they don't bring it up. And I've seen people get married and uh, married nine, ten months, and then all of a sudden, one of the spouse's credit cards, not only are maxed out, but it's turned over to collection, and the other party did not know anything about it. This could cause a lot of stress uh, among the family, and also they have to now pay it. They have to work out how to pay it. And then the the party who wasn't told gets angry that, that they weren't told about it and the other party is totally embarrassed about it and it, it stops a, an open conversation between the two parties between two people who are madly in love and who should be thinking about living the rest of their life together they have this problem and this problem unless you get paid off in one, unless you write one check and pay it off, which usually doesn't happen, it could drag on six or seven months until a, a, a satisfactory arrangement is made with the credit card companies to pay to pay the debt or, or you know, liquidate it in an orderly manner. So that is a so, big problem that's where the, the problem is sowed at the very beginning with secrecy. 
Well, the thing that's crazy, I mean, you'd think that by the time someone's thinking about getting married that they actually know what someone's financial habits are. But as we know, people do keep secrets. So should, should you basically, I mean, schedule a money meeting that once, once you decide you want to get married, as part of the conversation about getting married, say, okay, great. Well, let's sit down and talk about our money and review what, you know, have, have an all out, you know, all hands on deck, all information out on the table conversation. And if your partner doesn't want to do that, is that a red flag to say maybe you don't want to marry this dude? Well, I wouldn't say you wouldn't get married, but I think a money meeting is essential. I think it's also better if it's with an accountant or, or sometimes with a lawyer in connection with a prenuptial agreement. But the money meeting is very important. Uh, you should Everybody, they should put on the table the debts. If someone is very wealthy, and he doesn't want to, or she doesn't want to say how wealthy they are, and they don't want to have a prenuptial agreement, they may not want to say it. But if someone's in debt, that is very important. That has to be brought up because that could create a big problem later on. Also, you could have one party who's deeply in debt, and it's not evident when, during the courtship period, let's say it could last a year, a year and a half, because when people are going out, they don't really pay attention to what the other person has or does or how they spend money. Just that people seem to have money or they seem to buy what they want, which is very easy with credit cards. But there are also some people who hate that in the worst way. And if they find out that their spouse or the person they're marrying is deeply in debt, it, it shouldn't stop the wedding, but it should start to have an understanding of how you're gonna curtail, curtail the debt, how you're going to pay it off, and, and how you're going to be open with the two of you before you make any major expenditures. So the money meeting, I think, is a great idea. Well, and I think also, you know, it's interesting you made the comment about one person um, having a lot of money and one person not. Part of that conversation should also be, you, you mentioned financial goals. So what's the expectation about both partners working long term? Right? Are they are they both career people right now? Will they both continue to be career people forever? Or what happens when they have kids? Will one person stay home? Does one person not really have the same career aspirations? So they're going to become out of balance financially. And then again, to to have all of that out on the table of what's the financial expectations for who's going to be paying most of those bills, et cetera. That, that, that's totally that's very important in terms of who's going to pay, be paying the bills. I think you meant. meant whose money it comes out of. But it, yes. it, but that's not the right way of looking at it. It's a partnership between the two people. And if they decide that one of them, let's say they decide they want to have a, 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 one child or a few children, and one of them is going to be stay at home. It could be the man or the woman could be stay at home. Just because the other one is working doesn't mean it's their money that's paying. It's a partnership. And, and if you look at it, anything other than a complete full partnership, you're going to have problems later on because it's not the way to look at it. But Well, I agree. But let me ask you this, Ed. Can sure. I ask you a question? Um, should you merge all your money? Or let me say, so my, I've joked for years that the key to my, and I've been happily married for over 30 years, that the key to our marriage was separate checking accounts and separate credit cards. And they're both joint accounts, so our money's all merged. But I, when we, when we first got married and neither of us had any money, we had nothing. And I didn't want to get upset if my husband went to the ATM and didn't tell me, and now I was bouncing a check. 
So we've always kind of had our little separate pockets. I can see all of his, he can see all of mine. It's all transparent, but we manage our money kind of in two different piles, if I will. I personally don't like that. I mean, it's a great idea. Obviously, it works for you. And I think more people do it that way. I, I suggest that you merge the accounts. You, you, you don't work out of separate accounts. You have one account joint account. Now, I'm not talking about someone who's very involved in business or, um, you know, you know, or, or, or where there's a, a difference in the wealth of one party and the other. But if they're both relatively in the same status, I think they should have one checking account, pay all the bills from the one account. I do think they should have separate check, uh, separate credit cards. And the reason for that is that when they were single, they both established credit on their own. And I think it's important to maintain a, the credit worthiness of each couple, uh, of each of each person in the couple separately. But the the check should all be paid out. Of, the, the bill should all be paid out of the uh, joint checking account. And what I also recommend: the person who's least knowledgeable about money, write the checks, so that uh, that's how they become familiar with the family finances, which is very important if. God forbid there's a premature death of the other person and then the, the spouse that, that's unfamiliar with the money becomes lost and, and has another another hurdle to, to, to cross over at the worst time in their life. Yeah, well, I was actually just going to ask you, should they, because presumably if one person pays the bills, um, then should they have regular meetings so that the other person is aware of how much they have. I had dinner with a friend of mine the other night. They were married. These people are married for over, again, well over 30 years. And she had no idea how much money they have. Intelligent people, working people, and yet she did not see, she never saw the Cune bank account. I was flabbergasted. Well, number one, it works for them. I would not recommend that. I would recommend early on that that the both spouses are completely familiar with the family finances. And uh, let's let's just say that the, the man the the male is the uh, higher income person, and, and not that we're going to make gender assumptions. I don't, don't want to make yet. gender assumptions, but I don't want to say he <laughs> she all the time. But well, let's say that uh, the male is the one who makes the most money, and and the woman um, is, is planning on uh, being 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 a stay at home mom. Uh, but I got to. I have a lot of clients with a with a male as the stay-at-home uh, parent. But um, I think that the they should both be f- f- fully open with the finances, what they have, how it's being saved, how it's being invested, and I think there should be buy-in on a long-term plan, long-term objective. Long-term objective could be to buy a house in two years, or it could be we're going to retire when the when we're 52. Both of these. It could be the could be the objectives, or you know, I say long-term objective. It could be two years. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not long-term, but they could be saving for a house, right. uh, but still working towards something. Working, working towards something. Also, yes. a lot of problems come when one of the spouses who handles the money makes stupid investments, and I mean stupid investments, and they lose the money. And when they do it without the other spouse knowing about it. Um, again, it creates this this gap between them. It creates an anger on one side, embarrassment on the other side, and um, a, a, a period where they have to try to get over it. 
So I think that a good rule should be that the person who's handling the investments, if, if, if they're not going to inform the other party uh, about what they're doing, then they should have a limit the most, that they won't invest in any one thing more than a certain amount of money. And, and that certain amount of money, I would put it 5% of their, of their total investable assets. Okay, good advice. But I think also that it's important that both members of the of the marriage are responsible for it. So if one person really doesn't want to tell or they kick the can down the road, they're too busy, they don't want to have the conversation, I think the onus is upon the other partner to say, "No, no, no, we have to." I mean that it's not it's not one or the one person isn't in full control that both people have to be responsible for the financial health of the couple. I I, I agree now. You, you talked about talking about it. You did say that they should schedule a money meeting before they get married. I think that's essential, and that's a formal meeting, and they, they should have a third party there. When when people are married, they, they see each other all the time. If not during the day, they see each other for dinner, they see each other at night. It, it's not a big deal for one of the people to say, uh, I want to buy, uh, buy a thousand shares of Amazon, or I want to, uh, invest in uh, the, the, this next smartest thing. Uh, it, it's not a big deal to, to mention it and discuss it. If the other party yeah. is not familiar with it and relies on the other person, fine. They'll say, fine, if that's what you think is right, go ahead and do it. Uh, or maybe you're putting too much money in it. And they can have a conversation. The conversation doesn't have to last more than three, four minutes. Now, if one of them is a hothead, we're going to take it personal. Look, investing is not a personal thing. It's 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 a thing to secure your future or to reach goals. So if someone wants to invest money in something, they should be able to explain why in one or two sentences. And if they can't, a good rule is that if you can't explain it in one or two sentences, you shouldn't do it, and the other party, if they can't understand it in one or two sentences, they should not do it. Should be doing it. Yes, and I think these are all kind of red flags to be aware of, of but, but let me, knowing where you stand. Let me, let me go back to uh, getting married before they get married. A lot of people get married after they live together for a period of time now, and what happens is they, uh, they live together, they might be renting something, and then they decide to buy money. And let's just say one of the parties has uh, a lot of money and the other party is deep in debt but but doesn't neither one knows what the other one has and the party who has a lot of money says look they, they decide to buy a house and they buy the house a month or two before they get married and they put it in joint name and then they're married seven, six or seven months and then the, uh, this large credit card debt pops up that has to be dealt with that that creates a problem in being able to settle it with the credit card company. I've been able to settle credit card debt for about a, a quarter to a third of, of what people owe, as long as they have no other assets. But if they own half of a house, if they're a joint owner in the house, I can't do that. And if the person with the larger amount of money knew, knew about the financial situation of the other person, was not going to mention it. Uh, they're putting the house in joint name, and then uh, that other party own, owns half the house, and, the, and they own half of the equity. So it's very important to get this on the table. The other thing is, if, if someone's someone could have no debt today, 
but but you could have a couple who are 30 who are age 30 getting married and and five years earlier one of the couples who was very irresponsible with money and, and finally settled everything and was on the wagon so to speak for five years they have a very clean record now they go to they get married they go to buy a house they can't buy a house because the that person's credit rating is still uh, terrible so the, these are the kind of things that the money meeting would would and should bring up and again it's it's important as you said don't just have that money meeting alone have it with a financial planner or an accountant. Yeah, just give me an example. That can help expedite. Not that I'm looking for business, but I I could bring up questions and I could bring up things that would be embarrassing to any either one of them to bring up. What if they weren't think of bringing up? Where you know I could bring it up. I'm I'm just an anonymous financial guy. Where, where if the husband husband to be or the wife to be brought it up, uh, it could be embarrassing or could start a fight. Absolutely. So I'm going to take a brief break. I'm going to talk about all you do for bottom line, and then we're going to come back. So hold on one second. I'm talking to leading tax expert Ed Menlowitz about financial issues everyone should consider before they get married for the first time, married for the second time, third, fourth, fifth, and even if they get divorced. Ed has been providing bottom lines readers with his tax wisdom for decades helping them pay their fair share, but not any more than that. His insights appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, which is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just taxes, but on all aspects of your life, including investing, living a healthy life, travel, insurance, retirement planning, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. All right, Ed, we're having way too much fun on the break time, but let's talk now. So we've been talking about the importance, actually, ironically, we wanted to talk about the financial implications and considerations when people, before people get married. And we've really been talking, it's almost like you're a, you're a marriage counselor as much as you're a financial advisor um, and tax advisor, because so much of financial success in marriages is communication. So, um, which is, you know, so important for people to understand. They fall, the marriages fall apart because of financial issues and they fall apart if they are financial surprises. So we've talked a lot about having a meeting before they get married so that everybody can disclose where the, what, any kind of financial secrets they have. So let me ask you this. Does it matter when couples set up their finances where they live? There are common law states and there are community property states. And does it matter significantly um, should they set their lives up differently depending on if they're in a so you know confirm just clarify what community property versus common law states are and then is there any difference that someone should do when they set up their finances well as as uh, somebody once said you don't need to do any planning or anything because the only time it really matters is when there's a problem well <laughs> so, of course but always you know plan so for the get, worst right if you right but if you're getting married and if you live in a community property state, you're not going to move out of that state because of money or because of because uh, there might be a divorce. If you have a choice where you're going to live, then I would 
say that you should pick a common law state, not a community property state. And let's just confirm. So community property is everything that you obtain during the marriage becomes community property versus common law, which is what I bring into it, what you bring into it stays ours. Yes, but, but usually what's acquired after the marriage is going to be split pretty equally in a divorce settlement anyway. Uh, but the, but but you could keep what you bring into it. And there's all sorts of subtleties. This is why people have to read Bottom Line Personal and read your blog because there are subtleties with regard to how you, like you, you talked, I think, in one article about if someone comes in and they've got a trust set up and or a retirement account that there was their own and then jointly they add to it. Now suddenly that becomes community property. It was no longer individual property, things like that. Yes, that, that, that's a major issue. Community property is a major issue, and, and we read about it a lot in the newspapers. But in when people get divorced and they go, they go to a divorce court, no matter what state you're in, they look at the total assets that were acquired after the marriage, and they use that to take into account what the, uh, what the uh, other spouse will get. So community property states are important because the law dictates that, that the spouse, both spouses get half. But in, in the practical thing, and they fight about it anyway, even though they, they might lose in, in, in court, but they fight about it because it creates a negotiating posture. Yeah. But well, we're going to talk not, later. We're going to have a whole segment about divorce. So we can talk yes. all about community and, and uh, common law separation. Right. So I would say where you live, live where you want to live. Don't let taxes or, or the money drive drive your your life. If you could live in a state that that has lower taxes, as compared to a state that has higher taxes, pick the state with the lower taxes. Absolutely. But if you if you don't have a choice, or, or if you live in a certain area, don't don't let the the money drive your life, so to speak. Absolutely. All right. So real quick, in the couple minutes that we have left for this, are there any besides? If you all things being equal, live in a state that has lower taxes than higher taxes. Any other tax strategies that newlyweds and or people getting married for the first time should be considering? There, there's not that many. You you get married, you're going to file a joint return. If you don't file a joint return, you're going to pay taxes at a higher rate. So so, and it's usually better to file a joint return, especially if both spouses make approximately the same amount of money. However. If you're going to get married, uh, whether you get married, say, at the end of December or beginning of January, it could make a difference of when you file a joint return or not. You could be a student in, in, uh, in, in, in this year. You could be a student to, and be a dependent for your, for your parents at the end of the year, and then the beginning of the next year, you get married. Instead of getting married in December, when your parent would lose you as the dependent. Although the new law is changing that also. So we'd have to look at that. But the bottom line is, except for the timing of when you get married, whether it's the end of the year or the beginning of the year, I don't think it makes, there's really not much decisions you're going to make. You're going to file a joint return. And um, if you have estimated tax payments that you were paying before you got married, it just gets added together. So um, I don't think that's that's a big consideration the the financial planning and and the goals and objectives and and the debt that you might have i think are much bigger issues yep, absolutely okay so one last real quick question and we're going to do again a segment on this piece later should everybody get a prenup 
I don't know if everybody should get a prenup, but anybody with with an unequal division of the money definitely should be a prenup. Um, it, it lays things out and it gets things uh, off the table. But prenups are very hard. We're going to talk about it later. Very hard to bring up. You're much better off with the uh, money meeting, uh, and that could settle a lot of things. But if there's a lot of money on one side, definitely there must be a prenup, or if there's a second marriage. All right, and we're going to talk about second marriages, and we're going to talk about prenups. Edmund Lewitz, smartest partner at Witham Smith and Brown. Your partners probably would argue that, but I'm going to call you the part- smartest. Now partner I can't Lewis. get them. Now I can't tell them about this. To listen to <laughs> Blame me. Blame me. But nonetheless, author of our great blog, The Payless Taxman, and your contents in Bottom Line Personal. So, um, thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah.